Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Doolittle in today's statistics episode. We reap the wind and the sky when the sun is high. We sail the length of the seas on the ocean breeze. At night we name every star. We know where we are. We know who we are, who we are. This is the third version of the Doolittle story uh, that I've seen at least that I'm aware of. I don't know if there have been TV adaptations or things like that, but uh, we had the original, uh, presumably original Doolittle long ago uh, in the mid-60s, 1967. It was two and a half hours long, and uh, the main premise of Dr. Doolittle back then was to search for a sea snail, a very rare and mystical sea snail. And I think that movie's pretty bad. I think it's pretty, pretty bad. But uh, for some reason, it was nominated for nine Oscars, including Best Picture. Uh, but other than picture, it was mostly technical stuff. Score, song, production, cinematography, film editing, visual effects, uh, sound, and the like. Then we got Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy doing Dr. Doolittle, uh, which was, uh, I I guess, like, more enjoyable as a film, but I still don't think it's that great. Uh, They made a couple of sequels. I think I've only seen one sequel, the first sequel, uh, Dr. Doolittle 2, which is also not good. And, you know, like, they've got Murphy's charisma, you know, back in 2000, 1999, 2001 era when he was big you know shrek was a big thing then and he you know definitely had a way with with movies and and his performances and he was good and and the movies weren't so 20 years 20 years later or so uh we've got another doolittle out this one uh puts robert downey jr in the central role and uh, gives gives us a little backstory, gives us a, uh, you know, a little, I don't know, kind of tropey plot in, as far as I'm concerned. And I'll, I'll talk about that when we get to the writing of the film. But uh, I, again, did not like it. I think it's definitely worse than the Eddie Murphy versions and uh, a little bit worse than the Oscar-nominated version from 1967. Um, I was really hoping to see the Push Me, Pull You uh, although I, at the same time, I was very aware that it was very unlikely to, to come out and, and be in this movie. So, Doolittle. Not even Doctor, just the title, Doolittle. It's a 2020 film. The first of those that I will be doing, a stati- that I've done a statistics episode on. And, uh, I mean, it has a huge cast, which is the main reason why. And I, uh, yeah, so I saw it January 23rd, yesterday as of recording, uh, Thursday night, Thursday evening, went and saw it, gave it an 18. 18. It has a 16% on Rotten Tomatoes, so fairly in line. My brief film synopsis, the loss of his wife turns an animal doctor into a recluse until his way of life is threatened. Which uh, is pretty pretty accurate, I think. You know, the movie, we, we learn in the very first opening animated sequence that... Uh, Mr. Doolittle, Dr. Doolittle, had a very loving and caring wife that completed him in all ways, who 
unfortunately passes away before the events of the film proper. And he's since refused to talk to anybody except the animals with whom he lives. And the galvanizing force behind the plot of the film is that um, his land will be taken away from him if he does not heal uh, a person of great importance. And that ultimately drives him to pick up the hat and stethoscope, as it were, and get back out there and, you know, start fixing people again and animals and, and whatnot. So beyond that, uh, it's a very short film. It comes in just shy of 90 minutes, uh, which I was pleased with. Uh, it currently is ranked third for me in 2020. I haven't seen a lot, but a lot of films. I think I've seen five 2020 films at this point, and it is right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of them all. Uh, overall, though, all time, it is ranked 7,529th out of about 8,500 uh, films, give or take. Uh, it's not on IMDb's top 250, and I hope it never is. Uh, Bechtel test score uh, is a 1. Ooh, forgot to fill that in. It is a, is it a? Uh, it's a two actually. It's a two. There is there are scenes where, um, two female characters reference John Doolittle, and uh, that makes it a two. It's MPAA rating of PG. It is an action film. Currently the 1,039th action film is Adventure. Currently the 1,008th adventure film. It is a comedy. Currently the 2,975th 2, comedy, and it is a fantasy film, the 848th highest rated fantasy film. It is not part of a film series, and uh, yeah, that is that is where we jump off into the direction, jump off into the people actually associated with this film. So, uh, Doolittle was directed by Stephen, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, Gagan, 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 Gagan. We're going to go with Gagan, Stephen Gagan, 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 I don't know. Stephen G, <clears throat> this is the third film of his that I've seen. It drops his average film rating to a 37.67. It's his only film rated between 0 and 24 and worst movie overall, coming in behind Gold. If you remember Gold, that was with Matthew McConaughey a couple of years ago. Uh, it drops his value to a negative 2.5, his score to a 20.1 to be ranked 2073rd overall. One spot behind uh, Chris Wedge, who is the attributed director to the movie Monster Trucks, among other things. And one spot ahead of Roy Allen Smith, who has directed a couple of the Land Before Time sequels. <clears throat> the direction of Doolittle is, I don't know, it's, it's very sloppy. The film seems to have no pulse a lot of the time. Uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. has this horrible, horrible accent, and he's not even, you know, it, it comes and goes, and sometimes he's whispering, and sometimes he's... Uh, I don't know, sometimes it's far more pronounced and sometimes it isn't. The roles of the animals are very simplistic. Uh, the, the cast, there are you know quite a few human characters in the cast, more than I was expecting there to be. 
Uh, and then there's an equal number, if not greater number, of animal cast members who are given something to do. And whatever they're given to do, whether it's uh, Rami Malek as the gorilla or John Cena as the polar bear, they're all uh, incredibly poorly written, paper-thin characters. And, and it really felt like Steven had no idea what to do with them. You know, it, it just it's this mismatch of, of things, creatures, animals, whatever, that supposedly go together but don't really go together quite at all and you know there's this potential you know misfit grouping uh that you could have formed you know with a polar bear and a emu and a um emu emu ostrich whatever Kamel Nanjiani is I think emu uh a duck and, and a squirrel and all this stuff and yet there's not a ton of interactive interactivity between these characters, and I really think the reason for that is because the animation and the visual effects on them is very poor, and so primarily they interact with the other human characters, uh, which I don't understand why that is any better because uh, it's not. I mean, I mean, it's still pretty obvious, but it's not quite as obvious to notice how bad the visual effects are when uh, the visual effects creatures are interacting with other visual effects creatures as opposed to real life humans so i think it's kind of a just a just a really poor poorly executed film but a lot of that stems from the writing so the writing credits for the film uh stephen goggin again uh, this is the fifth film credit of his as a writer that I've seen, dropping his average film rating to a 41.2. It's his third film, rated between 0 and 24, and fourth best movie overall, coming in behind Rules of Engagement and ahead of Havoc. He has a value of negative 3.5, a score of 25.93 to be ranked 2,688th overall, one spot behind Boaz Yakin, direct, uh, writer for Now You See Me and Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, and one spot ahead of Justin Thoreau, uh, who wrote on Tropic Thunder, Iron Man 2, Rock of Ages, and Zoolander 2. But Stephen Gagan had a bunch of help writing this film, uh, which apparently went by and, and apparently wasn't very helpful at all, in the form of Dan Gregor, Doug Mand, Chris McKay, and Thomas Shepard. All four of them have various writing credits on the film. It is all the all of them their first film that I've seen, so they all have an average rating of 18. It's their best and worst film, a value of negative 2, a score of 4 to be ranked 8,020th overall, uh, which puts them tied with a bunch of people, one spot behind Shinichi Sekizawa, directed a, or who wrote on a bunch of the um, Japanese Godzilla films, and it puts them one spot ahead of Kevin Wade, who wrote on... National Security, Junior, and Working Girl. So uh, having such a big writing uh, accompaniment for this film, it, you know, kind of goes a long way to explaining why it doesn't work. But the problem is every so, so much of this movie is very abbreviated and s glossed over and skipped over and ignored. Uh, without getting into any spoilers, there's a quest that Doolittle must go on uh, and supposedly the thing he's searching for is difficult to find and uh, you know never really been found by anyone before 
and yet the movie makes it very easy to find. It seems makes it seem like you know, it was like everyone kind of stumbles on it. There's a a, a part in the movie where it's where you realize like, oh wait, lots of people have found this thing and found this place, and uh, you know they just never came back for whatever reason. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, well, not only is that flying in the face of the elusivity of this item but we don't even get to see like the approach to it you know it's like oh my goodness like looking at say san francisco and you know man it's your your characters have been talking up the golden gate bridge the golden gate bridge the golden gate bridge oh my goodness it's so amazing it's so wonderful and then you get to san francisco and it's like a close-up on their faces staring at the golden gate bridge but not actually seeing it and it's just we don't see how they get there we don't see why they get there a lot of things are just really really uh unexplained and uh almost completely for the worse which doesn't even touch on maybe my favorite or, or my least favorite aspect of the film which is a uh this kid who is the quote-unquote apprentice to downey jr's doolittle and his involvement in the film and the way he ingratiates himself with the cast both human and otherwise uh, just just happens it just happens there's no explanation for it there's no montage of of learning there's no you know he's the apprentice to do little he doesn't actually like show him like this is how you do you know this you know part of the movie takes place with them on a ship sailing and and he just there's no explanation for this kid knowing how to do a sail, you know, knowing how to be on a ship, live on a ship. We see Doolittle, who apparently gets seasick, uh, but it's one moment in the scene, in the movie. It, it happens for about two seconds, and then the other hour of the movie that they're on a ship, it's it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't affect him. So there's a lot more that I could get into uh, if we were doing spoilers, which I'm not. But there, there are just so many questions are raised. If you, uh, I put, I add a couple more in my letterboxd review that is marked as spoilers. Uh, if you want to check those out, but it's it's not a long list, so I, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Anyway, moving on. Here's the reason this movie is. Uh, it's the reason it's on a statistics episode, and it's for the cast. It is almost completely because of the cast. So. A lot of, lot of people, uh, I will differentiate who is of a speaking role, and I will try to differentiate the animal, if I can uh, remember who they played. I will bring up the IMDb page to help myself help myself out in that regard. I don't think any of the casting elements are spoilers, but if I think of it in the moment, I will skip over anybody uh, that would be such a thing. So, first up is Rafe Fiennes. This is the 46th film credit of his I've seen, dropping his average film rating to a 65.88. It is his only film rated between 0 and 24. That's wrong. It is his seventh film. Sorry. Ray finds this is his 46th film that I've seen, dropping his average film rating to a 59.09, not 65, 59.09. It is his seventh film rated between 0 and 24, and 43rd best film overall, coming in behind Cemetery Junction and ahead of The Avengers. He has a value of 10.5, a score of 67.13 to be ranked 115th overall. One spot behind Sterling Holloway and one spot ahead of Edwin Maxwell. Ray Fiennes is the voice of a tiger named Barry in the film. Uh, you know, he's a good 
It makes a good tiger. Fierce. Uh, fierce tiger. He's fine. Next is Emma Thompson. This is the 42nd film of hers I've seen, dropping her average film rating to a 58.12. It's her third film, rated between 0 and 24, and 41st film overall. One spot behind Junior and one spot ahead of The Love Punch. She has a value of 6, a score of 61.48 to be ranked 317th overall. One spot behind Keanu Reeves, one spot ahead of Struther Martin. Emma Thompson is the voice of Polly the Parrot in the film. Uh, She's given one of the more, probably the most important role of of the group of animals that are in the film. And, I mean, Emma Thompson's great. I love her voice. I think she's a good voice actor. Uh, But the problem I had, at least, with Polly was she, I mean, her character does not change. Her character has no growth. Her character is flat. And, um, I know, she's kind of put in this position of power, of authority over Doolittle. And, ultimately, yields, um, I don't know, just... uh, nothing i don't know there's no there's no like friction there's no give and take there it's uh oh but i mean i love emma thompson emma thompson's great next is marianne cotillard this is the 23rd film credit of hers i've seen dropping her average film rating to a 59.3 it is her third film rated between 0 and 24 and 22nd best movie overall coming in behind lady dior and ahead of Assassin's Creed. She has a value of 4, a score of 58.56, to be ranked 486th overall, one spot behind Colin Farrell, and one spot ahead of Martin Sheen. <clears throat> Marion Cotillard is the voice of Tutu, who I don't exactly remember. Let's see if I can pull up an... Uh, she's the fox. Oh, okay. She is the fox. There's a fox that has like two scenes in this movie. I don't know why Marianne Cotillard is that voice, but uh, she is. She's not really a voice actor so much. Next is Robert Downey Jr. Doolittle himself. This is the 45th film credit of his I've seen, dropping his average film rating to a 57.18. It's his fourth film, rated between 0 and 24, and 42nd film overall, coming in behind... Killers Kill, Dead Men Die, and ahead of The Shaggy Dog. Has a value of 3.5, a score of 58.24, to be ranked 509th overall. One spot behind Martin Starr, and one spot ahead of Stan Lee. As Doolittle, uh, I think if he wasn't doing an accent, I, I feel like Robert Tiny Jr. could be a really good Doolittle. But he is doing the accent, and is therefore not a great Doolittle. Uh, I don't know. I, I I'm curious how, what the uh, process of filming the scenes where he's talking to animals were like, especially when he's like not using English, where he's where the movie shows him uh, using the quote unquote animals language, and so we don't know what he's saying. I you know was he was there a person in a green suit pretending to be a bear or, or a monkey or whatever. Or was he just acting to thin air? I think it would be a lot more a lot more enjoyable if he was just acting to the air. That'd be fun. Next is Jim Broadbent. This is the 44th film credit of his I've seen, dropping his average film rating to a 56.48. It's his uh, sixth film, rated between 0 and 24, and 41st film overall. Coming in just behind Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, 
and ahead of The Legend of Tarzan. He has a value of 2.5, a score of 56.52 to be ranked 626th overall. One spot behind Matt Malloy and one spot ahead of Sidney Pollock. Uh, Jim Broadbent is a live-action character in this movie, playing Lord Thomas Badgley, someone who sits at the side of um, Queen Victoria uh, during her time of need uh, for much of the film. And uh, this is going to be a recurring theme, though, of very prominent and and respected and Oscar-nominated-slash-winning actors getting nothing to do, having very little to do in their movie, in in their roles. Next is Ralph Innocent. This is the 17th film credit of his I've seen, dropping his average film range to a 56.53. It's his third film, rated between 0 and 24, and fourth and 15th best film overall, coming in behind From Hell and ahead of The Hurricane Heist. He has a value of 2, a score of 52.58, to be ranked 950th overall, one spot behind Tony Collette, and one spot ahead of Celeste Holm. Uh... Ralph Innocent plays Arnold Stubbins, also a actual person, an actual person, and he is the voice, or voice, he is the father of Tommy Stubbins, who is the quote-unquote uh, uh, intern, uh, apprentice, rather, to John Doolittle, and he doesn't get much to do either. Next is Antonio Banderas. This is the 26th film credit of his I've seen, dropping his average film range to a 54.81. It is his fifth film, rated between 0 and 24, and 25th film overall. One spot behind The Expendables 3 and right ahead of Life Itself. He has a value of negative 3.5, a score of 47.39 to be ranked 1,520th overall, just behind Madge Sinclair and just ahead of Rizwan Manji. Banderas, uh, I believe he's in the trailers. Uh, he plays a real person named King Rizzuli. Uh Yeah, he's he is what he is. Oscar nominee this year, Antonio Banderas. Uh, question, uh, and and just this is an aside. It has nothing to do with Doolittle. They, I've read plenty of articles commenting on the Oscar, the acting nominees for the Oscars this year, and how they're very very white, and they all point out. Uh, Cynthia Erivo as the only non-white nominee. And I know Antonio Banderas is very light-skinned, but I don't know if I'd necessarily call him white. Uh, you know, he's Hispanic. He's Spanish. He's a Spaniard. Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say he's... I mean, he's obviously not black, and I think that's a lot of what the, the uh, Oscars so white... I think that's the primary thing, but there's definitely, like, the lack of Asian nominees, the lack of, you know, so on and so forth, you know, Aquafina and Zhao Shuzhen. But uh, I feel like there's something missing as to why there no one mentions Antonio Banderas as... or They all just lump him in as a white person, and I, I think there's... I don't know. I think there's more to it than that. But, I mean, I could be wrong. I, I'm, But I, I feel like feel like he's not white not 100% white I don't know anyway Antonio Banderas as King Rizzoli moving on Octavia Spencer another Oscar nominee slash winner this is the 36th film credit of hers I've seen dropping her average from way to a 52.97 it's her seventh film rated between 0 and 24 and 32nd film overall 
coming in behind Bad Santa 2 and ahead of another voice role she did for Percy Jackson, Sea of Monsters. She has a value of negative 3, a score of 47.18 to be ranked 1,541st overall, one spot behind Rory Cochran and one spot ahead of Barbara Hershey. Octavia Spencer plays the voice of Dab Dab, who is the duck, the duck, I believe, with a wooden foot. That's all I know. Next is Frances de la Tour. This is the 10th film credit of hers I've seen, dropping her average film rate to a 55.3. It's her only film, rated between 0 and 24, and worst movie overall, coming in behind Miss You Already. She has a value of, of, of 0.5, positive 0.5, a score of 46.58 to be ranked 1,624th overall. One spot behind Peter Bogdanovich and one spot ahead of Carl Urban. Francis de la Tour, uh, who plays the uh, headmaster, head, headmistress of Bo Battens in, in uh, Harry Potter, also is the voice of, I'm pretty sure this is in the trailer, uh, the dragon in the film. Yes. Um, what a what an interesting uh, performance. What an interesting role she was given. Next is Oscar nominee and winner Rami Malek. This is the 15th film credit of his I've seen, dropping his average film rating to a 450.4. It's his second film, rated between 0 and 24, and worst movie overall, coming in behind Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb. Has a value of negative 4.5, a score of 39.97, to be ranked 2,516th overall. One spot behind Vin Diesel, and one spot ahead of Jay Hernandez. Rami Malek, as I mentioned before, is Chi-Chi the gorilla who struggles with confidence and confidence. Uh, I think of all the voice performance, obviously I really like Emma Thompson, but I, I will say I think Rami Malek's voice work was pretty solid. He's one of the few voices that's not easy to recognize just by hearing it, at least for me. And uh, that generally means you're doing a good job as your voice voice performance, with your voice performance. Next up is Jessie Buckley. This is the fourth film credit of hers I've seen, dropping her average film rating to a 55.25. It's her only film rated between 0 and 24 and fourth and worst movie overall, coming in behind Judy. She has a value of negative 1, a score of 35.83 to be ranked 3,055th overall. One spot behind Jillian Bell. And one spot ahead of Angelina Jolie. Jessie Buckley, uh, from the acclaimed performance she gave in Wild Rose, plays Queen Victoria in Doolittle. Uh, <clears throat> presumably, this film was made and shot long before she got, long before you know Wild Rose was released, I guess. Maybe not long before, but during and prior to any of the acclaim she received. Uh, because uh, she's so much better than that role, which has very little, gives her almost nothing to do. Next is Carmen Ejogo. This is the 13th film credit of hers I've seen, dropping her average film into a 45.54. It's her fourth film, rated between 0 and 24, and 10th best movie overall, coming in behind Pride and Glory and ahead of Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. She has a value of negative 7.5, a score of 31.97, to be ranked 3,546th overall. One spot, one spot behind Brad Garrett, and one spot ahead of Rose Byrne. Carmen Ejogo is the voice of 
maybe nothing. I'm not seeing her on this list. I may have a... Uh, let's, let's just see. She is definitely credited on Letterboxd as what? Regine. Regine. No Regine listed on IMDb. Interesting. The plot thickens. Who is Regine? Oh, she is a lioness who was cut from the final film. <sighs> Man. Um, okay, well, definitely... Uh, all right, well, never mind then. Carmen Jogo, no longer that low on the list. She uh, gets to remove that movie from her film list because I didn't see her in it. So uh, we'll just keep moving. Next is Michael Sheen. This is the 32nd film credit of his I've seen, dropping his average film rating to a 46.44. It's his seventh film, right between 0 and 24, and 28th best movie overall, coming in behind the Twilight Saga New Moon and ahead of Tinkerbell and the Great Fairy Rescue. He has a value of negative 15, a score of 28.71, to be ranked 3,873rd overall, one spot behind Israel Broussard, and one spot ahead of Sean Hayes. Uh, Michael Sheen also plays a, a live-action person in the film. He's the uh, foil to Doolittle uh, to a degree. His name is Mudfly, and he's uh, basically the doctor seeing to the queen at the very beginning of the movie who is then kicked off in favor of Doolittle. But, you know, he pops up throughout the film anyway. Um, I don't know. Michael Sheen looked like he was having some fun playing this role, but he doesn't get... I mean, his role is pretty pretty thin as a antagonist to Doolittle in that regard. Next is Craig Robinson. This is the 20th film credit of his I've seen, dropping his average film rating to a 43.55. It's his seventh film, rated between 0 and 24, and 16th best movie overall, coming in behind Hot Tub Time Machine 2 and ahead of Percy Jackson, Sea of Monsters. He has a value of negative 11, a score of 28.59, to be ranked 3,887th overall. One spot behind Even Moss Bachrock, Barak Bachrock, and one spot ahead of Ludacris. Craig Robinson plays Kevin, and Kevin is the squirrel from uh, the film that is... Uh, the reason that Tommy Stubbins even meets Doolittle in the first place. He finds, gets, gathers the injured squirrel up and takes him to Doolittle to help him get fixed. Craig Robinson, good voice actor, uh, Kevin as Kevin is maybe the best thing about the movie for me. I really like the direction they took his character. I wish there was more interaction uh, between him and particularly Stubbins, but if not Stubbins, then at least someone else. But he kind of just got left to his own devices and able and just, you know, they cut to him every once in a while to say a thing and that's it. Uh, but I really liked him. I thought he was funny. Thought he was funny. Uh, next up is John Cena. This is the 13th film credit of his I've seen, dropping his average film rating to a 41.23. It's his third film, rated between 0 and 24, and 11th film overall. 
one spot behind Daddy's Home 2, and one spot ahead of Ready to Rumble. He has a value of negative 9.5, a score of 26.23 to be ranked 4,120th overall, one spot behind Heidi Klum, and one spot ahead of Natalie Dormer. John Cena is the voice of Yoshi, the polar bear who is always cold. Yep, cold polar bear. That's what we're going with. Cool. Next is Selena Gomez. This is the 20th film credit of hers I've seen, dropping her average film rating to a 42.35. It is her 7th film, rated between 0 and 24, and 16th best movie overall, coming in behind Puppy and ahead of Princess Protection Program. She has a value of negative 15, a score of 23.5 to be ranked 4,347th. Overall, one spot behind Christoph Conrad and one spot ahead of Tony Danza. Uh, she is the voice of Betsy. Mm, I do not remember Betsy. Betsy Doolittle. Let me see. If I can find it simply, this poster. Giraffe. She is the giraffe. No, she was fine. She was fine. She was fine. Next is Kumail Nanjiani. This is the 16th film credit of his I've seen, dropping his average film rating to a 39.63. It's his 7th film, rated between 0 and 24, and 12th best movie overall, coming in behind Hot Tub Time Machine 2 and ahead of Fist Fight. He has a value of negative 12.5, a score of 22.72, to be ranked 4,406th overall. One spot behind Ed Helms, and one spot ahead of Machine Gun Kelly. Kumail plays Plimpton, the... Maybe, I guess I can look at it. Uh, oh, is he not on this poster? What a shame. Oh, no, he is. An ostrich. Not an emu, an ostrich. Uh, Kumail's... I think he got some funny lines, but... I don't know. Just so many of these animals felt out of place, and... and awkward within the con constraints of the film and I don't know I don't know uh, and that's of course missing uh, somebody who uh, I don't know how I missed him maybe he's not listed on the letterboxd page because I know Tom Holland is in this movie and maybe he's just not listed oh no he is Tom Holland as the voice of Jip so let's see. We can do this live. All right. Tom Holland. Oh, match entire cell column. Yep. Uh, da, 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 da. Yes, this one. This Tom Holland does not have it. So let's put it in here uh, with an 18. Drops his. So it's his 17th film, dropping his average film rate to a 54.53. It's his third film, rated between 0 and 24. And. 16th best movie overall. He is the voice role of Jip, uh, Yip, Jip, sorry. Uh, Jip, yeah. The dog, for whatever reason. Uh, it drops his value to a negative one, his score to a 47.79, which ranks him 1,475th overall. And that puts him one spot behind Tina Fey and one spot ahead of. Uh, Kevin Rankin and uh, you know Jip is like all these other characters he's just there he's just 
there. They're all just there. Moving on. Moving on. That are, those are all the actors. Those are all the people in the movie. Not all of them, but those are all the ones that um, are recognizable. Doolittle, with an 18 from 2020, is an action-adventure comedy fantasy, dropping the average rating of action movies to 47.16. Adventure films fall to 48.31. Comedies to 50.18. And fantasy to 48.87. It is a two-on-the-bechdel test and PG film. Like I said, no Oscar nominations. Now, I guess it will get some... I presume it will open out the year with some Circle of Film Award nominations. Um, when I get when I open that new list up, uh, I'll be doing that. I'll finalize that list after I do my 2019 episode. But just for the simple fact that it'll be one of the few films released by that point, good good odds it gets some some love somewhere. For now, for now. Moving on, stats for the year. It is the fifth film I have seen that has been released in 2020. It is one of the 119 films that I have seen so far this year uh, with an average rating of 2020. 2020 films have an average rating of 20.4, average tomato meter of 32. It is the fourth comedy, or sorry, is the second action, first adventure, fourth comedy, and first fantasy film of the year for me. It increases, or rather decreases, the ratio of good to bad films to zero. From zero, so I guess it didn't increase or decrease it at all. It kept it the same. All five films from this year have been bad, so rated lower than a 50 for me so far. Um, none of them have been good. It is a two on the Bechtel test, giving it 40%, or part of the 40% of films from this year with a two on the Bechtel test. It is the only PG film I've seen this year. With a score of 18... It is the 51st film to receive that score, which represents 0.6% of all the films I've seen. 0.6%. Some other films that have received that score from last year are Angel Has Fallen and A Dog's Way Home. You can go back further than that for Peppermint, Robin Hood, I Can Only Imagine, Overboard, Fist Fight, Cult of Chucky, Morgan, The Legend of Tarzan, Wolf Warrior, Evil Dead, Planes, The Chaperone, Camp Rock... High School Musical, Garfield, Joe Somebody. You can go all the way back to 1901 for the first film I have given this score to. A movie called Jeffries in His Training Quarters. Jeffries in His Training Quarters. Doolittle. That is Doolittle. That is all there is to say about Doolittle. I say don't go see it, personally. But, you know, if it's your thing, it's your thing. And if you enjoy it, more power to you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Special thank you. I think I missed it already once, and I knew this was going to happen, but special thank you to Brian, uh, who is a very, um, uh, very charitable, is the right word, charitable uh, Patreon, uh, patron, Patreon subscriber uh, to the podcast. Thank you so much, Brian. Uh, If you would like to become a patron, uh, of the Circle of Film podcast, you can find us on find us on patreon.com slash circle of film, where for as little as eight cents an episode, you can have early access to all the early episodes that are released, uh, including at the current moment, any uh, of almost all of the MCU retrospective episodes that I record with Meg will be released early in some way, shape or form. 
the second episode is already out, even though normal subscribers will not get to hear it until Monday. Uh, besides that, you can support the show by liking, rating, reviewing, subscribing to the show wherever you are, whatever you're listening to it through. Uh, you can also tell somebody about it or just listen. That is the best thing. Just keep on listening if you're already listening. You can find me on Twitter at Circle of Film, on Letterboxd at Circle of Film. You can email circleoffilm at gmail.com about anything and everything in between. You can uh, find the show at iTunes, Stitcher's place, Stitcher, places where podcasts can be found. You can also find the web, find it, or all the episodes on the website, circleoffilm.com, in addition to many other things. You can, that's it. That's all the things I have to say at the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. And as always, have a week. So long, I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be to say adieu. Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. So long, farewell, oh, what I'll be to say. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.